Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. We have been here for a period of weeks. By now, you should almost have 1 Timothy 6 memorized. You probably know this passage well by now, but I want us to read it and launch from here once more. 1 Timothy 6, very end of the chapter is verse number 17. We're going to read three verses together and go from 1 Timothy 6. So verse number 17 says this, Paul instructs Timothy to charge them or command them or to instruct them that are rich in this world. We discovered that's us. We're the rich people, middle-class Americans. We are. Whether you feel it or not, you are. Tell them that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, so don't be arrogant. Don't trust in your wealth. Don't migrate your hope away from God, but trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So trust in God. Put your hope there. Know that he gave you these things to enjoy. And then verse number 18 that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate or share. Literally, we said it this way. You, I have the responsibility biblically to do more and to give more because of what God has afforded us. So do more, give more. Verse number 19, we talked about this last week. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So literally, by doing more, by giving more, you are able to lay up treasure in heaven and to put a good foundation there to actually have some rewards eternally. You're also able to lay hold on eternal life. What that means is you're able to experience heaven on earth. You're able to experience the joy, the satisfaction, the fulfillment that comes from this here in this life. So future and present tense, there's a reward for this. But verse number 18 tells us that we should do good simply and we should be rich in good works. Hence the name for the series, Be Rich. Biblically, we're instructed to give more and do more. So for a period of four weeks now, the month of October, we talked about giving more. We talked about our finances, biblically, what that looks like. I hope that God worked on your heart. And that may mean something different for each and every one of you. It could be that you are taking a three-month tithe challenge and you're just trusting the Lord. You're just taking the on-ramp and doing that right now. It could be that you are wanting to lay up treasure in heaven and you liquidated some stuff and you're going to give to some people or the church or to someone else and you're going to lay up treasure in that capacity. It could mean that you made a, a deeper and a fuller missions commitment. There's a lot of things that could have meant I won't re-preach the, the whole month because you were here. But we have this responsibility to give more. Now we're going to turn our attention for four weeks to this thought of doing more, the thought of service, the thought of ministry. And I want to help you discover biblically really what it means to serve, what it means to play a part, what it means to do more, to be rich in good work. So we're going to have basically one long sermon just kind of divided over four weeks long, and I'm going to do my best to sew it all together and have one big conversation. But we're going to begin that thought this morning of doing more, of being rich in good works. I am excited about the next few weeks in tackling this topic of ministering or serving or doing more, and I literally believe that this could be a life-changing series, that this could be a life-changing four weeks for you, and I don't, that's not an overstatement, that's not hyperbole, I really believe that from my heart, and I believe that because of personal experience, and I wanted to start this morning just with a little bit of personal testimony. Five, six years ago, I was ministering at a church in California. Uh, My wife and I were there on staff and serving under a a lead pastor or a senior pastor there. And I picked up a book from a pastor who's passed away now, an old Southern Baptist pastor named Adrian Rogers, called What Every Christian Ought to Know. 
And inside of that book, there was a chapter on spiritual gifts. And I was a young man who had been around ministry and church my whole life. I had served in ministry in a variety of capacities, you name it. Probably I did it, whether it was a kid or whether it was a teenager or in college or then working on a staff of a church. I had probably done it. And I began to read this chapter about what the Bible biblically had to say about spiritual gifts and understanding how God had equipped you to serve. And it really made a profound impact on me. And it, and it began to help me think more deeply about ministry. At that point in time in my life, I just assumed that all ministry was the same. For example, in, in my day-to-day life there, I ministered to our youth, to the young people there. And I enjoyed that. And I had a good time doing that. I loved it. I had a lot of events and different projects that I would spearhead or organize, and I I enjoyed that. I even had to do maintenance on the vehicles of the church, and I did not enjoy that, but I did that because it was just part of my job description. But I did a lot of different ministry, and to me, it was all just, I'm just serving Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm ministering, I'm doing this, it's all the same. But I began to realize biblically that we're designed, yes, to minister, but we're designed even specifically. We're geared specifically for certain ministries, and the Lord has equipped us with spiritual gifts. We'll talk more about that next week. But I began to discover this, and it began to occur to me as I ministered that there were certain things that I enjoyed more than others, just naturally. That while I enjoyed working with young people, what really made me tick, what really lit my fire, what really I got energy from and I just felt came natural to me was teaching and preaching God's Word. That any time I could, whether it was in a, in a classroom, whether it was to young people, whether it was to the church family as a whole, it didn't matter. If I was transferring truth to people from God's Word, if I was studying His Word, that just jumped out at me. And I began to discover that I was spiritually equipped with a gift of teaching. And I, and I don't say that in a braggadocious way. I just, I believe then, I believe now that it's something that the Lord had just given to me that I didn't give to myself. He just kind of gifted it to me. And that's been developed and honed over the years, but that began to help my wife and I think about what the Lord would have for our life just long term. And that actually began to root itself in that 25, maybe 20% of my time was spent teaching and preaching. And in my capacity there at that church, that was never going to be more than that. It didn't need to be more than that. They had other people who were doing it. But I wanted it to be more than that because I began to understand how God had built me, how he had equipped me for ministry. And I wanted it to be more than that. So we made the decision to go to seminary, to take two years to do some postgraduate study and to learn how to more effectively study God's Word, to learn how to more effectively communicate God's Word, and began to do that and study. And and literally, the truth that I read in a book about the Scripture and about spiritual gifts and ministry put me and put my wife and put our family on a trajectory that we had no idea where that was going to lead us. But the truths about ministry, the truths about spiritual gifts, the truths about God equipping us and helping us for ministry really shaped us and put us, really put me here today on this platform. I would not be here today if not for those truths. So I speak personally when I say that the truths of of ministering, of serving, of being rich in good works, that those can change your life. It's changed my life. And And it's a joy and it's a journey that I want you to discover. And even as your pastor, I want you to discover the fulfillment and the satisfaction and the fruitfulness that comes from ministering and being rich in good works and operating how God has intended you to operate. So this series, I'll say from the get-go, this is not about guilt. 
I'm not trying to make you do something or twist your arm. It's not about the church filling holes. We have some holes we'd love to be filled, but it's really not what it's about. It's not about us just, you know, wanting you to go do something, but it's about helping you discover what it truly means to minister and what you're intended biblically, what the Bible has to say about your life. So for the next four weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to dive into this topic of doing more, of ministering, of being rich in good works. And I want us to launch. It's going to be topical in nature. Now, if you know anything about Harvest Baptist Church or even about me personally, I'm not a big fan of topical preaching. I'm not against it, but it's not my preference. I would prefer just give me the book of Jonah and let me walk through it. Just give me a book of the Bible. But we're not going to do that for the next month. We're going to handle this in a topical way, and we'll get to a book study here in the next couple months that, that's coming down the pipe. And you'll be glad. I'll be glad. It'll be great. But for four weeks... We're going to topically look at different passages of Scripture that have to do with us being rich unto good works. They have to do with us serving, us ministering, us discovering what it truly means to be a minister to the Lord. So I want you to go to Ephesians 4. So go there in your Bible. If you, don't, if you can't get there in your Bible, then you have that in your notes and you can look at it. And I want to bite off a couple verses from Ephesians 4 this morning and just help you understand a big picture of serving and why we would tackle this as a church body together, why we would sink our teeth into this issue. Ephesians 4, look at verse number 11. We're just going to read a couple verses. I'd love to handle this whole chapter this morning, but I don't have time. So we're going to just talk about verses number 11 and 12 by and large. Here is what the Bible says in Ephesians 4, verse number 11. It says that he, talking about God, gave some, and it's going to list kind of these different offices or responsibilities in the church. So he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, let me define a couple terms for us up front before we jump in. So it lists a couple offices first. It says apostles and prophets. Now, those two offices biblically have been discontinued. I'm not going to go too far into the weeds, but to be an apostle, part of that description is you had to literally physically see the resurrected Lord. So you haven't seen him literally physically, nor have I, so we're out. We can't be apostles. The gift of prophecy is also something that was given. There were prophets that would literally foretell, and that has been discontinued. 1 Corinthians 13, the end of that chapter, makes that clear. So we're left with evangelists, I would say as missionary evangelists, those that, those that literally go around and just share the gospel to people in, in a missionary capacity. And then there's pastors and teachers. And it says kind of here's the design of this. Here's how this is supposed to work. And this is important for a church to know this. Here's how this is supposed to work. There's pastors and there's teachers, and it says this, that they specifically are given for the perfecting of the saints. You can say it this way. They're given to mature the saints. Now let me define one more term for you because I understand we're in Pittsburgh and many of you have a deep Catholic background. When the Bible says the, the term saints, it is, it's not talking about this group of people who you pray to. It's not talking about this group of people that are immortalized in a stained glass window somewhere in a church or some edifice somewhere around here. It's, it's not talking about a group of people that have somehow been canonized or the, or the Catholic Church has put their stamp of approval on them. Uh, many times, especially with a Catholic background, this, this term is interpreted in light of, hey, these are these people that I pray to who have died and they did some miraculous deeds after they died and the church investigated them and said that they were good and the Pope put a stamp of approval on them, so they're saints. If I could just be bluntly honest with you, the truth of that perspective of saints 
there's just as much truth there as there is in Santa Claus and in, you know, the fairy godmother. There's just, there's biblically, there's just not a shred of evidence for that. It's just, it's literally just made up. So when the Bible uses the term saints, let me just tell you what that term means. The term saints literally just means a separated one or a saved one. It literally just means a sinner saved by grace. So a saint is literally you, me, if you've been saved by Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross, then you're a saint. That's a very broad term. It's not an elite group of Christians. It it just means a set-apart one. It has nothing to do with their ethical character or your ethical character. You could literally be a saint and a scoundrel at the same time. That's possible. It's not supposed to be that way. The Bible doesn't recommend that, nor do I, but it's possible. So a saint is just a Christian. It's a separated one. It's a saved one. And the Bible says, the Bible's going to give you one of the reasons that a pastor, that I, a Pastor Rousey, Pastor Smith, why we exist. So this is important for you. My job description, at least part of it, is here in Ephesians 4. So pastors, teachers are given for the perfecting of the saints, for the maturing of the saints. I would say it literally, that there is a design of administers, and those are pastors. So literally, there's an administration designed for pastors to equip, to give, to help saints mature. It's part of my job description to help you understand what it means to pray, what it means to give, what it means to serve. It's part of my job description to help you mature and to help you come to maturity in Jesus Christ, the perfecting of the saints. Now, I'm on my journey and my walk, and I'm maturing and I'm growing, and so are you. But part of my job description is to help you become a mature believer. This this helps you know a little bit of what's healthy and what's not healthy inside of a church. Okay, for example, if you were to read Acts 6 or you were to read 1 Timothy, you would also find that my job description is to teach, that a pastor should be apt to teach. 1 Corinthians 6 makes it clear that I should be laser-locked on the Word of God. But it's also my job to equip people to teach and to grow them and to help them. So what that would mean practically, there's a lot of ways you could flesh this out practically, but for example, here at Harvest, if you are to come to church on Sunday mornings, in November, in December, in January, what you're going to get on Sunday morning is me getting up, giving you a sermon from the Word of God, except if my child is born on a Sunday morning. That's a possibility. We're due with our third in December. Most of you are aware of that. And possibly there'll be one Sunday where my wife is giving birth and I'm trying to help her as best as a feeble husband can in those moments. You know what I'm talking about, guys. And so outside of that, I'll be here Sunday morning teaching. That's my job. Now, if you were to come on Wednesday night in December or in January, what you'll find is that you'll find different men in our church that are going to get up and they're going to challenge our church body there on Wednesday night from the Word of God. And it's my job there to help equip them, to help give them an opportunity to serve, to help give them an opportunity to teach, and even shape that and hone that a little bit and help them see where they can grow and, and, hey, think about this. Both are biblical. Both are, are my responsibility to teach and to help other people teach. So that should come forth in a church. And what that tells you is many times in churches there, there's unhealthy mentalities that, hey, well, the pastors or the clergy or the, the staff, that's their job, right? Sometimes, I don't think in our church, but it, really if this becomes the mindset of our church, we're dead in the water. But some churches adopt this mentality of, well, let the staff do it, let the pastors do it, let them do it. 
I'm just an average member. I'm just laity. I'm just a Christian. I'm just here to attend. That's entirely unbiblical. The pastors are given to help mature you, to help spur you, to help equip you, to help you understand that you have jobs, you have responsibilities, you have roles that the Lord's helped you to be involved in ministry as well. And so this is, this is vitally important. The next four weeks are vitally important for me because literally I'm fulfilling part of my job description to try to help equip you be a minister. Now let me define what minister means and then we're going to take off. So when it comes to ministering or being a minister, it's a simple word. It's, it's rooted in the Greek word diakonos. It's actually the word that we use for deacon. The word deacon literally means just servant or minister. This is yet another kind of facet to, to church ministry that if you've been a part of a church where the deacons were the absolute power players and they called all the shots, that's really unhealthy biblically. It's not the way it's designed to be. They're supposed to be front lines of service and leaders in the church, but they're literally, their job means, hey, I'm a servant or I'm a minister. I, I try to help carry out the, the direction that the pastors are setting for the church. So when it comes to ministry, what this means for you to minister, for me to minister is very simple. It means I take what God has given to me and I use it to serve him and meet the needs of other people. That's what ministry is. I take what God has given to me, I take what God has entrusted to me, and I'm going to use that to meet the needs of other people. I'm going to use that to serve him. Now, you can minister in a lot of different ways. I'm going to give you three. You can minister in a physical way. In Matthew, Jesus tells a story that you're going to go to heaven, and, you, and the Father is going to say, hey, thank you for giving me that cup of water, and thank you for giving me that meal. I really appreciate it. And Jesus says, and, and you'll look back at him and say, when did I give you a drink? And the father says, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Hey, you did it in my name. You did it for somebody else. You helped that homeless person. You helped that neighbor who lost their job. You helped that person that needed a meal. So if you've done it to them, you've done it to me, that literally we could meet physical needs. We had missions conference a month ago. How many of you remember Bradley Edmondson, the medical missionary who was here? And Bradley's whole ministry is once a month, I go to a different country, we set up shop, we meet people's physical needs so that we can turn around and share the gospel with them. That's a valid ministry, to go and to meet people's physical needs, to minister them in a physical capacity. That's a, that's a valid ministry. There's also a ministry of meeting emotional needs. This is what 2 Corinthians tells us, chapter 1, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. And then it says this, that God comforted us in all our tribulation. Why? So that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. What's that saying is this. God comforts us and God ministers to us and God helps you. Ever been there where you've just been in a spot where no one could help you but God himself? Been there? He says he gives that to you. Why? So that you can reciprocate it. So that you can comfort other people. In this room, it's filled with people that you're able to minister in ways that I never could. Some of you have gone through things that you needed comfort for in your childhood. Some of you have gone through things maritally. Some of you have gone through things physically. Some of you have, have lost a child. You've lost a parent. You've, it goes on and on. What that means is that there should be a comfort that you receive from the Lord that you're actually able to give to other people that I would not be able to give them. That you're able to minister in emotional ways. We, this week, we've, we had a couple 
pretty large just kind of physical, emotional needs that, that came up in the church. Uh, Jerry Sipe was admitted in ICU because he had a, a real bad fall, and he's doing okay. But one of the, the bigger needs, if you haven't heard it, and please jot this down and pray for this. But this week, we had a family, and they have a two-year-old boy, the Coyne family, and, and Landon is two, and they found a tumor on Landon's kidney, and they removed his kidney in the, in the tumor this week. They're doing pathology, but they're pretty likely that it's cancerous and that this two-year-old boy is going to go through chemotherapy. So pray for that. But you know what I was able to do for the coins this week? Nothing. I was able to pray. And I was able to minister emotionally. So I can't say nothing. But it felt like nothing. There is very little tangibly that I can do for them. I I could give them a meal. I could stop by and, and say, hey... But the vast majority of my ministry to that family this week was emotional. It was, it was trying to weep with those that weep. And I shouldn't paint too, too bleak a picture because they're doing well and they're very encouraged and they're, and they're trusting in the Lord and they they're really are in great spirits. But the vast majority of my ministry to them this week, it wasn't physical. It wasn't even necessarily spiritual. It was It was emotional. It was trying to help. It was trying to pray. It was trying to do. I couldn't do much tangibly. And that's valid. That's biblical to minister in that way. But there's also a spiritual side of ministry. Physical, yes. Emotional, yes. Spiritual, yes. The Bible tells us in Timothy that we are actually reconciled to God. That, or excuse me, that's 2 Corinthians. That we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. What that means is that you who were once estranged, you who were once apart from God are actually put back together with him through Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say that we, as Christians, have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That we are actually able to minister spiritually to people. We're actually able to take people that are estranged from God, that don't know his grace, that don't know his love, that don't know the gospel, that don't know that Jesus Christ died for their sins, and tell them the truth and see them become reconciled to God. So we minister in physical, emotional, spiritual ways, but all of them are valid forms of ministry. Literally, we did all three of these as a church family yesterday. If you were here for Faith at Works, you know we had a blast yesterday, and it was a ton of fun. If you weren't here for Faith at Works, then you just, you missed out. I'm sorry. But yesterday, we went to our neighbors at the, at the bottom of the hill, not all of them, but some of them, and, and there were leaves on the lawn, and we asked them, hey, we know that we put a whole lot of traffic through here, and we're probably annoying neighbors, and we're sorry for that. Can we be a blessing to you? Can we rake some of your leaves and get them off your lawn? And several of them said, yeah, be a blessing. And we ministered in a physical way. We took Operation Christmas Child. All of you who participated in that, you know last month we've been talking about this. Thank you. We exceeded our goal. Last year we did 180 boxes. This year we were trying to do 250. We did 350 actually this year. So thank you for doing that, for giving, for being a part of that. But we took those boxes. We kind of put the cherry on top yesterday, and we packed them all together, and we're sending those away to meet a spiritual need and give those people the gospel, but a big part of that will be an emotional need. Kids that have never been shown love, kids that have never received a gift in their life will get love. They'll get notes. They'll get pictures of you and that you're praying for them, and they will receive an emotional ministry from you and a spiritual ministry. I was part of a team yesterday that went out and we just handed out gospel tracts and had a couple conversations with people and invited them to church and tried to share the gospel with people. Literally yesterday, all of that took place here. 
that physical, emotional, spiritual ministry, and that is what the church really is all about. It's designed, we're supposed to band together and to engage in ministry in this way to meet those different facets of needs. And when you do that, it's fulfilling, it's rewarding, it's exciting. I had someone yesterday, they didn't know I was, I was standing there. It was at the end of the day and they were walking out and they literally walking out the door said, I could do that all over again. That was fun. And when you begin to minister, you'll find that it is rewarding, that it is exciting. And my job as a pastor is to try to perfect the saints. My job is to try to help you mature, to help equip you for ministry. Now, there's a second portion to this, Ephesians 4. So there's pastors and teachers that are given for the perfecting of the saints. Then it says this, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of, of Christ. So there's a design to administer, those are the pastors, but there's a design to minister, those are the people. I'm not going to go too in-depth here, but if you look at the original languages or if you look at the Bible as a whole, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, you will find this, that when this says pastors are given for the perfecting of the saints, it's then saying in verse number 12 that the saints are actually given for the work of the ministry and the saints are given for the edifying of the body of Christ. So what this is saying is that you're equipped and propelled by those in leadership and then you actually, the buck is on you. That you begin to work in the ministry, that you begin to serve, that you begin to build up the body of Christ. Not the clergy does it all the end, but they equip and help and mature and you actually have a responsibility as just people, as members of a church, to minister and to be engaged in gospel ministry. I would say it this way. Every member is designed to be a minister. You're designed by God to be a minister. There's an old saying that kind of floats around churches that a third of people make things happen, a third of people watch things happen, and a third of people have no idea something's happening. (laughs) Now, I don't think that's true of Harvest Baptist Church. I don't. But there's a measure of truth to maybe how it is, but that's not how it should be. Biblically, 100% of people are supposed to make something happen, are supposed to serve, are supposed to work. You are supposed to. And I'm not trying to put guilt or just a command on you. I'm going to help you see why this is beautiful and why you should embrace this. But you're designed for ministry. They, I don't know who the author of this was, but I thought, it was, I thought it was funny. The average church is like people at a football game. Down there on the field are 22 men desperately in need of rest, and up there in the stands are 50,000 people desperately in need of exercise. (laughs) But church done well, church done biblically is not that way. there, There are no people on the sidelines. It's everyone's in the game, and everyone plays a different part and has a different capacity and and does something different. It's not all the same, but it is the same in the sense of everyone does something. I want you to see why this is so richly biblical, why this is literally what you're designed for, what you're created for. And I want to share a couple just Bible verses quickly with you. I would say this first. When it comes to you being a minister, you're literally created for ministry. If you're a Christian, you're created for ministry. This is what Ephesians 2 tells us. We are his workmanship. Talking about those that are saved by grace through faith, not that not of ourselves. We're his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Literally, and God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That you're designed, you're created, you're fashioned, you're shaped to do good works. 
That, that's the intention behind your spiritual design. Some of you have designed a house before. Some of you at work, you, you're in charge of designing something, making sure that it functions properly. You're in quality control in that way. Some of you actually manufacture at your job. You know what it's like to make something with a function in mind. You form this because there's a function in mind and you want to put it to use to do this or do that or work in this capacity. What this is saying is that you're formed in Jesus Christ, you're formed for good works. You're formed for ministry. You're formed to meet needs. You're formed to be rich in good works. You're created for that literally as a Christian. You're saved for ministry. Titus 2 tells us that he gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, purify himself, uh, a peculiar people, and those people should be zealous of good works. Literally, the Bible says you are redeemed so that you could be zealous and desire good works. Ever, ever think about why did God save me? Ever had that question go through your brain? Well, because he loves me. He does. Well, because he wanted to give me the gift of eternal life. He, he wanted me to go to heaven. That's true. But if you stop just there, it's a little self-absorbed. He saved you, Titus 2 says, so that you would be zealous of good works. Literally, you're saved, and part of that salvation is a calling that you would go into ministry, that you would be zealous of good works. I would say beyond that, you're authorized for ministry. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us we're ambassadors of Christ. Ever been given a responsibility at work, but you weren't given the authority to complete the responsibility? Ever been, that's frustrating, isn't it? Where someone puts a responsibility on you, but they don't actually authorize you. They don't actually give you the leeway that you need to do it. That's not the case with Jesus Christ. Yes, you're created for good works. Yes, you're saved for good works. Yes, you're supposed to minister, but you're actually made his ambassador. You are his representative. He actually gives you authority as his representative on earth that now I am representing the sovereign. I'm representing the throne that I now have the authority carried with me in the power of the Holy Spirit of God to go forward and to do ministry. Now that is... That's compelling to me. That's exciting to me that it tells me, here's how I'm designed. Here's how I'm shaped. We are big as Baptists. We're big on the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer is a, is a biblical truth that when you're saved, you now have direct access to God. You do not need a go-between. There's one God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That you don't, I'm happy to pray for you, but you don't need me to pray for you. You can pray for yourself. You can go to God. You can enter directly. Hebrews tells us. You can talk to him. You can open up his word, and the Holy Spirit of God can talk to you and can illuminate truth to you. Why? Because you're a priest. So that is a great privilege that you have, but it's also a responsibility. It means that as a priest, you have functions, you have responsibilities that you are to carry out, and a big portion of that is that, you're actually responsible, authorized, equipped to do good works, to be rich, to minister. That's part of how God designed you. I would say this. I'd go even further. Your Bible intake is for ministry. What does 2 Timothy 3 tell us? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's a beautiful truth. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why all of that? That the man of God may be perfect or mature, Throughly furnished unto all good works. 
The point of that intake, that, that, that inspiration of God, the scriptures, the point of that is to reprove and to correct and to shape you to maturity and to good works. It's to furnish you, it's to equip you, it's to help you learn and to engage in actually being rich in good works. I'll give you one more. If that's not enough, you're just commanded to do ministry. Isn't that what, what Timothy tells where we launched from? Hey, command those, charge those that are rich in this world, tell them to do good, and tell them to be rich in good works. Like just, just give them the command. And it's not meant to be begrudging. It's not meant to be duty. But literally, when you look at Scripture, what you find is you, I, we were created for ministry. We're saved for ministry. We're equipped for ministry. We're authorized for ministry. We take in the Bible to help us do ministry. We should be zealous of ministry. That's who the saints are supposed to be. We're supposed to be people that want to do more. And to most people, that sounds great, but we begin to tell ourselves lies. You ever told yourself this one? I would love to do A, B, and C, but I just don't feel like I'm that spiritual. I feel like I need to grow some. I feel like I need to be further along in my Christian life, and I don't know that I'm good enough to do ministry. Can I tell you, join the club. <laughs> like, no one feels good enough to do ministry. And I'm constantly encouraged by who Jesus called to do ministry with him. You look at the disciples, those guys are knuckleheads. They are. They're bickering. They're fighting. They're petty. They're angry. They, they're dense. They don't get it when Jesus is talking to them all the time. They're a bunch of knuckleheads. But Jesus called them and wanted them to go do ministry. And truthfully, you and I, we're just the same. I don't feel worthy. You don't feel worthy. You don't feel like you've arrived. I don't feel like I've arrived. We, we all feel like we should be further along in our Christian life. I should have grown more. I should have done more. I should have avoided that pitfall. We all feel that way. But the truth is that doesn't negate that you're designed for ministry. You're intended for ministry. You're intended to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Ever told yourself you're not very talented? That's a big lie. You are, you are gifted, you're talented, you're spiritually equipped in some way by the Holy Spirit of God to do ministry. And you have talents and abilities and, and, and experiences that I don't have, and you're able to minister in ways that I could never minister. And the truth is that if you're telling yourself that I'm not good enough or I shouldn't or I don't, don't buy what you're telling yourself. If someone else is telling you that, don't buy what they're telling you. Buy what God's telling you. And the Bible tells you this is what you're intended for. That there are the people, the saints, are designed for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ, that literally a non-serving Christian is a contradiction. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction. A Christian is meant, you are meant to serve. And what happens when you begin to serve is you begin to realize your design. And that's a beautiful thing. When you begin to understand that God made me for this, you begin to have fruitfulness and fulfillment. And isn't that what we really all crave? Don't we crave fruitfulness to feel like we're accomplishing something? Don't we crave fulfillment? Well, I can tell you how to find that. Do what you're made for. You won't find that by buying what the world tells you. You will not find that in money. You will not find that in status. You will not find that in power. You will not find that in your toys. You will not find that in a relationship. See Ecclesiastes. Solomon, 
the guy who had more money and more power and more women and more stuff than you'll ever have in your whole life combined, all of us combined, he had more than all that. He says, vanity, it's pointless. It didn't satisfy me. It didn't fulfill me. And if you want to find fruitfulness and you want to find fulfillment, and I want you to find fruitfulness, and I want you to find fulfillment, then you find what it means to serve. You find what it means to minister. Sometimes people will tell me, I'm frustrated. They come to church, I'm doing things, and I'm going through the routine, but I'm frustrated. My, my first layer of attack on that is, what are you doing? What are you serving? Because if you are constantly taking in, taking in, taking in, and you're never serving and you're never giving out, you will become frustrated. You'll become dead inside. This is what, two weeks ago, I was at the, the Dead Sea in Israel. The Dead Sea is the Dead Sea because of all the salt content, and it has all the salt content because it's fed, 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 but there's never an outlet. So it just accumulates, 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 and now nothing can live there. If, if your spiritual life is the Dead Sea where people are praying for me and people are serving and people are helping and people are giving me the word of God or people are giving, 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 but there's never an outlet, there's never a flow, you become frustrated, you become dead, you feel unfulfilled, you feel like you're unfruitful. And it's true because you need to minister. You're designed, you, you, you're supposed to crave that. I want you to see the end of this particular passage in Ephesians. I wish I could walk through every verse with you this morning, but I do not have time. But I want you to see verse 16. Verse number 11 starts a thought, and it's one big sentence, all on the same topic, that goes down to verse number 16. It starts with this idea of pastors being the administers, equipping people, and this idea of the people being the ministers and serving and building up the body of Christ. And it ends with verse number 16. I'll actually go two words before that, the end of verse 15. Even Christ, talking about Christ, the head of the church, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. That's saying that literally we're put together by Jesus Christ. Don't forget he's the head of the church and we are equipped by him. Then it says this, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. What's that saying? What that is saying is that when this happens well and pastors administer and try to see people equipped for ministry and people take the responsibility and they begin to minister to the body and they begin to build up the body, when that happens well, literally there's an effectual working of every part that the parts begin to work effectively together. There begins to be this synergy. The church begins to come alive. And when that happens there's made increase unto the building up of the body in love. That literally when that happens, the body begins to build itself it, organically. It begins to repair itself and to care for itself. And in love, it begins to minister. Basically what happens is that church gets really beautiful. Church gets incredible to watch because people are ministering and serving together, discovering their spiritual gifts, discovering how God's made me, trying to this. And sometimes, I'll be honest, we try stuff and it fails, so we try something different, but it becomes beautiful when people are working together and that synergy in the, is there, and that's the purpose. The purpose is that you become a bodybuilder. Anyone ever wanted to be a bodybuilder? Don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. You can raise your hand if you want. You get to be a bodybuilder, a spiritual one, that we get to work 
together in the ministry and you get to, you get to find out, here's how I was de- designed, here's what I was intended for, here's, here's what I was made for, and that is a beautiful thing. It honestly can be a life-changing thing when you begin to understand how God made you. We're going to end today in a bit of an unusual way. If you have a bulletin, I want you to take it out, and inside of there is a card. We end every sermon the same. We end with an invitation. What's an invitation? An invitation is, is an invite for you to do something. An invitation is a call to action. An invitation is, hey, I'm going to invite you to actually do something with what you just heard. Don't just absorb it and walk out of here. Do something with it. So here's the invitation today. There's a card here. If you didn't get one of these, please stop by the Welcome Center or stop by. There's actually a table with some Be Rich banners by it today. Stop by the Be Rich table and grab one of these. But hopefully you have one. This is a simple card. I'm going to give you some time and space, actually two minutes, to fill this out here in a little bit. Don't do it just yet, but I want you to look at this. This is basically a ministry menu. So the top has your name and, and contact info if you're, if you're open to sharing that. And then it has, not all, this is just a sampling of things that are going, going on here at the church that you would potentially maybe want to be involved in. It's a menu of sorts. And I'm going to ask you, you may, you may feel like, hey, I have five things that I'm ministering in, and I need to get rid of one. I don't need to add one. That may be you. And if so, write us a note on there, and we want, we want to help you with that. But for many of you, if you remember, five weeks ago, we ended our Jonah series. Remember that? And I told you five weeks ago that if you were on the sidelines, I was coming after you. Remember that part? That was a fun sermon, wasn't it? I told you five weeks ago, through October and November, my goal is to give you on-ramps and to allow you to get plugged in through what you're doing, through what you're giving, to help you find the satisfaction and fulfillment that comes from that. This is part of that. So I'm going to ask you today, if you are intrigued by ministry, and I hope that you are, and you feel like I need an outlet, maybe you have one and, hey, I want to do something else. I want to do more. I want to be rich in that then I'm going to ask you to check three, four, five of these. When you check some of these, you're not signing up for it, okay? Let me make that clear. You're not saying I'm obligating myself to do this. What you're saying is I would like more information. I'm intrigued by that. Could you communicate with me? My promise to, to you is that within one month, we will communicate to you. We will give you some more details. You can explore it a little further. If you want to do it and you want to jump in and go to kind of a little training camp and learn more about it and test drive the ministry for a few weeks, see if you like it, great, you can do that. If not and you want to select something different, that's fine too. We'll just communicate information to you. But there's a a variety of stuff on here. Some of you, you have... You have three kids that are under age five. You're working 60 hours a week. You have very little time. And you, honestly, it'd be best for you to have a ministry that's here just ushering while church is going on. Others of you have a lot of time midweek, and you could be a volunteer receptionist for four hours. Some of you are great with children in the nursery, great with kids in general. Others of you, don't, we don't want you around children, and you don't want to be around children, right? You know who you are if you don't like kids, Okay. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Some of you are gifted musically and you can play an instrument or you can sing. Others of you can't, can't carry a tune in a bucket. That's okay. But there's a variety of things here. I would, I would even go beyond this. If there's something here that's not you, then please stop by. There's a table in the lobby after the service. Stop by there. Have a conversation. We would love to custom build something for you if we need to. 
I love that Operation Christmas Child happened the last two years of our church. You know how Operation Christmas Child happened? Ephesians 4. It was not an idea that I had. It was not an idea Pastor Rousey had. It wasn't a, I didn't even know Operation Christmas Child existed until a member of our church came and said, hey, what do you think about this? I've been doing this personally, and I think this may be a good idea for the church. And my response was, I'm actually really busy right now. I can't spearhead that, but if you want to do it, have at it. And they said, okay. And they, they went after it. That was something that was not anywhere on a list, but they just, they did. And that's beautiful. The bottom line is, we want you to potentially say, hey, here's some ways that I could get involved. On the back, there's three simple questions, and there's some areas that you can check. I have experience. What I found is this. Many times the experience that you've been afforded through life, through your job, through whatever it is, actually will help you. It's, it's ability, it's talent that you have that you're able to use. Some of you are great with technology, some of you not. Some of you are great with working with your hands, others of you aren't. And that's fine. The bottom line is, I want to give you an on-ramp. This isn't you taking the on-ramp today. This is you just kind of flicking your blinker and saying, hey, maybe I'm going to take that on-ramp. And I want to give you an invitation. I want to give you an opportunity to take it today. I'm going to pray. We're going to play the piano softly and actually give you two minutes to take this, consider it, fill it out. If you don't turn it in today, that's fine. You can turn it in next week. You can turn it in the week after that if you want. We're going to have the Be Rich table in the lobby for several weeks in a row. You can turn it any week you want, but many of you could turn it in today, and we could start the dialogue today, and you could begin to discover what you were created for, what you were designed for, what you were authorized for, and that's to minister. Maybe physical, maybe emotional, maybe spiritual, but we want you, I want you, I want to equip you and help you discover what it means to minister.